Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. To achieve greatness in art, to be inducted into a hall of fame for the music that you do is an honor that not many get to enjoy. Fewer yet are inducted into multiple halls of fame for their music. One such man is Johnny Cash. The man in black. Ray Coob. Marcus in the darkest. When we started putting this podcast together, this episode, um, we started looking into it because we weren't sure which halls of fame Johnny Cash had been inducted to. And then we found out that we figured rock and roll, and we were right about that. We figured absolutely the Country Music Hall of Fame, absolutely. But then the other two kind of surprised us a little bit. You went and checked which ones? The Gospel and the Songwriters. Well, the Songwriters, I kind of get. You know, he was a great songwriter in addition great. to being an incredible performer. But the gospel music that Johnny Cash did is often forgotten. And there you are. It's also a Hall of Fame career in that. So what's that, four that we know of? Four. Well, if I live to be a hundred, I know I can't forget the day that I broke the heart you gave me and let you walk away. That's when they hung my name in the Fool's Hall of Fame. Four halls of fame that hold Johnny Cash, his name, and his music in there. I didn't know that when we started looking around. I figured a couple of those, but didn't know about the others. And it's more than enough reason to want to look more into the man, as you said, the man in black, as he became known, Johnny Cash, here on the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. So you want to talk about Johnny Cash? There's a lot to learn about Johnny Cash. I know very little about Johnny Cash. and so, Except for his name's Johnny Cash? And he has some really awesome music. I'll start then, because I learned about Johnny Cash and a lot of country music from my godmother, my Aunt Gail. Uh, I talk a lot about my mom's 45 collection on the podcast, but Aunt Gail was uh, a cool godmother, had no children of her own, so she spoiled the hell out of all of us, and was a wonderful uh, person to learn from. She loved country music. So Aunt Gail exposed me to Johnny Cash, who she just adored, and Merle Haggard at first. And from there, I started finding things on my own and finding out what I liked about country music which probably will surprise the shit out of some people, but it's true. And it came from from my godmother a little bit. But Johnny, uh, I have a bunch of his records. I started collecting the uh, Columbia years on CD, and that kind of created a greater appreciation for all of his music. And I know that your appreciation for him came in more during the American Recordings years when he enjoyed an unbelievable resurgence. An insane resurgence with his covers of Like Hurt. Yeah. Which are just mind-blowing. I Won't Back Down, which is just unbelievable because it's so different than Tom Petty's in the way that there's a, an inherent sadness in the back of the op, behind the optimism. And you know, in a way, you kind of just encapsulated a lot about Johnny. His childhood wasn't necessarily a happy one. Uh, oh, no. He lost a brother. 
one of seven kids initially, and his other brother ended up being in country music too. So it was kind of like rebelling against dad a bit. Ray Cash was not exactly fond of that or them in a lot of ways, and um, there was some real abject cruelty. If you watch the movie Walk the Line with Joaquin Phoenix as Johnny and Reese Witherspoon as June, uh, you, you see it on display. I never had talent. I did the best I could with what I had. Can you say that? Mr. Big Shot, Mr. Bill Poppin' Rockstar. Right. Who are you to judge? You ain't got nothing. I wear this house of thorns. Children you don't see. Uh, some say it was way worse than how it was personified there. Hollywood's not going to make it that bad. No. And uh, you, you may not get the full picture back to when, uh, again, when John was a younger man. And that led to a lot of the pain that he would struggle with in his life. Drugs, alcohol, and some erratic behavior at times. But along the way, he made some of the most memorable country music, some of the most successful uh, songs, huge songs in the country pantheon of, uh, of, of music. I keep a close watch on this heart of mine. I keep my eyes wide open all And that's why he's in the Country Music Hall of Fame. But a lot of those songs crossed over onto the Billboard big, you know, Hot 100. Yep. I Walked the Line became his uh, theme song forever. Like, that became the Johnny Cash song. And he that also, crossed over. He also had songs like Ring of Fire, which yep. actually crossed back the other way because of bands that covered it. Social Distortion does Ring of Fire. And I think Wall, Wall of Voodoo did one, did too. Did they? We'll have to look that up. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. We're checking with the We're research team. Research, research team. team. Here we go. Yep, Ring of Fire. They do it, too. Yeah, I played that on yep. college radio. That's why I was pretty okay, sure cool. about that. Yeah, no. Social D is the one I've played. Oh here. yeah, we played that one. Sure, on MMR still. To so this that's day. also one of his most iconic songs, uh, as far as uh, the lasting impressions. But I got to tell you, at a time when he was making his biggest impression with uh, Folsom Prison, mm-hmm. uh, the live album and all that, uh, it included a song about a boy named Sue, which was a huge hit for Johnny Cash. And turned him on to a lot of different people, uh, people who listen to the AM radio. At an old saloon on a street of mud, there at a table, dealing stud, such a dirty mangy dog that named me Sue. Well, I knew that snake was my own sweet dad from a worn out picture that my mother had had. And I knew that scar on his cheek and his evil eye. He was big and bent and gray and old, and I looked at him and my blood ran cold, and I said, My name is Sue. How do you do? How you gonna die? Yeah, uh, that we've talked about it being, you know, getting poetry on the AM radio. Well, this is a different animal altogether. This is getting your country music on crossing over. In um, Billboard, he never had a number one, if I'm not mistaken, but he was in the charts for long, long periods of time. His songs were very popular when they were popular, and they would have, like you said, long runs. You said he's most known for Walk the Line, right? I Walk the Line. Uh, These are his country number ones. That was uh, number one on the country chart and got to number 17 on the Hot 100. There you go. And there you go was another country number one. Uh, Ballad of a Teenage Queen 
uh, was number one on country and number 14 on the pop chart. Don't Take Your Guns to Town uh, was number and made it to number 32 on the pop chart. This all between like 1956 and 1959. And, and the, the top of the charts uh, visitations were a little less uh, for the next couple years for Johnny. And there's a lot of reasons for that, right? Life was challenging for him. Uh, being married, being on the road, we see it with a lot of performers of that era. Drugs being involved, alcohol being involved, and it creates strain and eventually cost him his first marriage. Um, But the hits did continue in the 60s with the song we were just talking about. Ring of Fire was number one on country, number 17 on the pop charts in 63 for Johnny Cash. Love is a burning thing. Understand Your Man in 63, uh, number 35 on the pop charts. And then it's that magic year of 1968, a year which resurged Johnny Cash in a way that people weren't expecting. He did the Folsom Prism Blues. I hear the train coming, it's rolling around the bend, and I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when. I'm stuck in Folsom Prison, and time keeps dragging on. But that train keeps rolling on down to San Antonio. When I was just a baby, my mama told me, son, always be a good boy, don't ever play with guns. But I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. When I hear that whistle blowing, I hang my head and cry. And the song we were just talking about, A Boy Named Sue, How Do You Do? How do you do? My dad loved that. He just thought that was the funniest thing ever, A Boy Named Sue. And that got to number two on the pop charts. Didn't quite make number one on the Billboard Hot 100, but got him really damn close. And uh, Sunday Morning Come Down, Flesh and Blood were number one for the the country chart in 70. And then uh, Man in Black only made it to number three. Even though it's one of his biggest songs, Man in Black only made it to number three in 1970. Well, you wonder why I always dress in black. Why you never see bright colors on my back. And why does my appearance seem to have a somber tone? Well, there's a reason for the things that I have on. I wear the black for the poor and the beaten down. Living in the hopeless, hungry side of town I wear it for the prisoner Who has long paid for his crime But is there because he's a victim of the time The next time he would really make the kind of impact on the pop charts that we're talking about is in 2003 with his cover of Nine Inch Nails Hurt hitting number uh, 56 on the country chart too, by the way. I hurt myself today to see if I still feel I focus on the pain the only thing that's real the needle a Kill it all away. 
I'm not surprised. The sadness and the vibe of it fits country totally, and it could totally be crossed over. Any of those songs that he covered could be crossed over onto the country charts as well, and should be because of the country vibe that he put to them, or the country spin. We're talking about Johnny Cash on The Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. His difficulties with uh, substance, let's just say that, because it was a variety of things at different times, I think, mm-hmm. uh, were always a challenge. But something happened when he met June Carter Cash. June Carter was part of the famous uh, Carter family. Mother Maybell, the whole gang, right? They're well known. If you need to find some documentation about all that, I suggest you go and find Will the Circle Be Unbroken, an album that was put together by the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band guys back in the 70s. It's full of music that that explains all the circles in that country, that circle of country and, and how it's relevant moving forward. Johnny and his wife stayed together. June and him worked on the road. Things were falling apart at home. He hit some rock-bottom places. And some of it's depicted, to some degree, in the the movie, Walk the Line. Oh, yeah. (laughs) There's some dark... Johnny hit some dark places in I Walk the Line, so I can only imagine in reality they were much darker and much heavier than what was depicted. Well, like a lot of things uh, that happened out of the 50s, Johnny Cash started at Sun Records, right? I know. And started recording for Sam Phillips, and that's where some of the initial attention, certainly at Columbia Records, came from uh, the work he was doing for Sam. And while he's on Sun, these other fellas were getting involved. Uh, you might have heard of Elvis, somebody, yeah. and Elvis Jerry Lee, somebody, <laughs> guy somebody. named Perkins, and they were all kind of like in this circle of artists that Sam Phillips was working with. And I don't know if it was part of his initial plan, but eventually they all pretty much moved on to other labels and other things as uh, the 50s became the 60s, especially. Some of them right there in the middle of all this, like Elvis going RCA in, in the 50s and all. Well, Sun Records was releasing Johnny Cash songs until 1964, even though Johnny had left a few years before because of how much music he had recorded with Sun Records. And I'm sure a lot of that was the gospel records as well as the country stuff that didn't cross over to the pop because of the early days. It was much more of a raw country feel. Well, the atmosphere at Sun Records certainly led to one of the most famous unexpected recording sessions ever. It's become known as the Million Dollar Quartet. These guys that we were just talking about, four of them were all in the studio, all working on stuff. Uh, Elvis, Jerry Lee, Carl, and Johnny Cash. On December 4th, 1956, and Sam just let the tape roll and recorded everything that was going on, kind of like the the, uh, early guys did with recording Robert Johnson. Just record everything. Yep. You can always edit later. And they did, because didn't you say there were still releases from Sun years later? Mm -hmm. From Johnny Cash? Yeah, Sun kept releasing after he jumped labels and kept releasing songs until 1964, so they were continuing to be able to survive on Johnny Cash's name by releasing singles from their library of Johnny Cash music. Record deals in those days were so weird. They really were. They really were. Ray Coob with Marcus in the Darkest. Uh, I think we take a pause here and come back and talk some more about the man in black. We're walking the line on the imbalanced history of rock and roll. 
Well, you know, Marcus, we talk about the guys at Crooked Eye Brewery so much, we should make them like partners in the podcast. <laughs> and they should make us partners in the brewery. Well, I'd like that because I get to go and drink all the good stuff for free, right? Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, you may not get to go and drink for free, but you can go and have a great time anytime you go into Crooked Eye. They're in the heart of Hapro, right at York Road and Montgomery Avenue. Stop on in and have uh, anything that's fresh off the board. Uh, there's so many great offerings. Jeff Mulhern, the chief brewer, always works. Working on some neat stuff in the back room. Their new expanded brewing facility, Marcus. We saw it when we did the New Year's Eve party. Yeah, the, the facility's great. It's got great sound to record a podcast in, which means... <laughs> but it also makes good beer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we... <laughs> if you want to go in with friends and you don't drink beer, they've got uh, wine and cider yep. and all kinds of things, especially in the wintertime. There's always a hearty ale or something that you can quench your thirst with there at Crooked Eye. You want to find out what's going on entertainment-wise, you can go to their website, CrookedEyeBrewery.com. Good friends, great beer. Next time you need a pint, make it a Crooked Eye right in the heart of Hatboro. I used to love it at the beginning of Johnny Cash's TV show. Yeah, the TV show? Yeah, on ABC. What? Like, uh, 69, 70, something like that. He would walk out, just like he would do on stage, walk up to the microphone and say, Hi, I'm Johnny Cash. Like you didn't know, right? And uh, it it just kind of, like in concerts, that would just pump people up. Hello, I'm Johnny Cash. Now, what happened at Folsom Prison was a whole nother thing. And the way that's depicted in uh, uh, Walk the Line, the movie, uh, is... Probably pretty close to what happened. The water sucked for the prisoners, and John didn't like it. By then, he'd already been speaking out for people who were being downtrodden. Yeah, he was always a spokesperson for the floor for the poor and the and the downtrodden. Always and and Native Americans too. It was part of his spirituality, which such a a difficult man to understand because he had so many things that he had right in in his heart and and the way he approached things. And so many things that, that, that gnawed at him at the same time. His inside battles must have been absolutely insane. But by then, by he, by the time he was doing the TV show, uh, he and June were together, and uh, they had great chemistry, man. Well, let's see. There's Kalamazoo. Have you seen him? Have you seen him? See? I was trying to find him. I oh, was looking oh. everywhere for him. Uh, I, I was I was for the golden-throated one. Oh, John. Yes, uh-huh, for Johnny Cash. Well, I was looking for him. I've got to find him. He's well, no, no. Oh, here he is. John, John, come over here. John, I, I certainly want to thank you for appearing with us here on our program. Uh, I've, all night long, I've seen June in and out of here looking for you. It seems like she's worried about some trip you're planning. Is, are you going? Well, I was going to take her down to see Carl Perkins in Jackson. Oh, oh, in Jackson. Yeah. Well, I thought you may be going to Kalamazoo or Springfield well, or some J- Jackson. It's not, it's not far. Jackson. Oh, don't yeah. let him please trying to get away without me. Oh, this this is where I go out, too. You see it a little bit in the movie, but if you go look at some of the videos online of those two on the TV show... It's it's love, it's kismet, it's chemistry, synchronicity, all that good stuff. And even though there were 
troubled times sometimes between them as well, but the love there really sustained him and helped him to get better, ultimately. It's like Jack Nicholson's character says in As Good As It Gets. Guess Johnny felt this way about June. You make me want to be a better man. (laughs) Sometimes we get lucky and find that person. Their love continued throughout the rest of both of their lives, and sadly, just months after she died, he died. There were health issues involved, but most people would say he died of a broken heart. I could totally see that. When couples have been together for a long time, it's common for them to pass away within a short period of each other, especially if they've spent that much time together. You hear about it way too many times for it to be bunk or an old wives' tale. It, and that's what happened here. He, he he passed, but there's some neat things that happened later in Johnny's life with the music and the connection that he had to the, to the Seattle scene with uh, our buddy Kim Thale, uh, Chris Novoselic, uh, the music of Nine Inch Nails, Rick Rubin, the whole nine yards. It's weird because nothing that happened there, as somebody who followed the man's career since I was a kid, surprised me. None of the things he did there. I enjoyed the hell out of that record. And I'll bet Aunt Gail would have as well if she was still here. Oh, totally. But I was just happy to see that. And and Personal Jesus, too, did a real nice version of that. Your own personal Jesus. Someone to hear your prayers, someone who cares. And those recordings kind of are like almost like a coda to his legacy, which is a is as a highly successful country artist, pop artist, gospel artist. innovator, gospel artist, television personality, yeah. and a man who tried to make the world a better place, even as he struggled through his own life. Yep. I mean, he wore black to represent the downtrodden and the poor. Now, there was a story that I read about he did that because he said it was easier to keep the clothes clean on the road, which is also probably true. But I also think what you said is true. I I don't know. Do you really think as somebody who wears black once in a while, it's easier to keep it clean? I don't know. I think I do not. I think blues and greens are easier to keep clean. And I can't believe we're getting into a laundry digression. But 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 the man in green doesn't sound as cool as the man in black. So (laughs) let's just face that. The man in sea blue does not sound as. uh, No, (laughs) definitely not. The man in navy. So that's why the man in black works so well. And maybe it did begin as a wardrobe choice for the road, but um, ends up being symbolic. And his support of Native American causes was also something he felt very strongly about. And I remember at least one time seeing him on an award show out there with the long black coat, with the white shirt, bow tie, not the, you know, the string tie. The bula. Yeah. And uh, out there talking on behalf of our, our Native American brothers and sisters who needed help and to be treated more fairly. He was always just talking about that. He also has a pretty rich musical legacy and his daughter Roseanne and his son J.R. So the legacy of the Cash family continues, and June does too with J.R. The music they uh, did together, you had to love Jackson. If you if you like Johnny and June at all, you had to love Jackson. And the way they sang it together was magic, man. We got married in a fever Hotter than a pepper sprout We've been talking about Jackson 
Ever since the fire went out, I'm going to Jackson. Oh, yeah. It's like they were reading each other's minds while they were singing, knowing exactly where to jump in. There was that connection, and you could feel it. We've talked a little bit about connections on the podcast, and they can come from so many different areas. And in this case, it's man-woman love. You know, you mentioned his activism for Native Americans, and I didn't realize how involved he was. I know that he had spoken out, but some of the things like the uh, controversial uh, Bitter Tears album, the Ballads of the American Indian, and some of that stuff that was really considered too radical for public is pretty impressive, and it just shows how rock and roll Johnny Cash was or how true country Johnny Cash was because he holds that rock and roll spirit representing the people, speaking for the people, being an activist, which is what the music in a lot of ways always has been. And you've heard, and we've both heard, many musicians in other genres of music talk about that aspect of rock and roll and the importance of it. When Johnny sang, this land is your land, he really meant it. And you feel that he meant it. You feel it all the way. Just another facet of what made Johnny Cash such a, an amazing person, an interesting person. A lot of people have written a lot about him, and uh, books have been written, and movies have been made. But really, the essence of the man, spend some time with his music. I always tell people, get done with listening to this episode and go put Johnny Cash on Spotify if it's on your phone. Mm-hmm. And uh, give yourself a chance to just you know listen to the man and his music from all his different eras. You're correct about me getting turned on more to Johnny Cash during the covers album um and you know being turned on with the american recordings like the cover of hurt his cover of neil diamond's solitary man bridge over troubled water the sadness even in the songs that are happy there's always an underlying sadness and you hear it and you feel it in his vocals you wired me awake and hit me with the hand of broken nails You tied my lead and pulled my chain to watch my blood begin to boil. But I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage and run. Didn't he do Rusty Cage, too? He did Rusty now, Cage. That, it felt more of the rage. That version, yep. as I recall, had more of the rage of that song, which, you know, yeah. which came from Soundgarden, obviously, yeah. and, and him becoming friends with Kim. Oh, absolutely. And the, the, the Soundgarden version where you hear the raw power of mm-hmm. Rusty Cage where it's exploded, right. that rage has exploded, versus Johnny Cash where it feels like it's still brewing and it's still stewing and it's still building and it's still growing. And at some point, it'll get the, get to the surface. And I feel like that was more of the mood that I heard or felt from Johnny Cash and uh, his version of that song. I'm looking at this whole thing that we're talking about with um, Rick Rubin and Sylvia Massey, too, by the way, was involved in all these recordings and the different artists involved. Similar to or remindful of Roy Orbison later in his life and career, being appreciated more fully by the people he influenced, if, if that makes sense. And when you look at the people involved, you can see where there's influence paying forward as a, as a rock attitude as much as the music and all that. But that you see it in these recordings uh, with the music that's 
ends up coming out on the records that he made and uh, the people that were involved, like Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, working with him on Unchained. And those records are a delight to me as much as anything on Columbia in the early days. So, Yeah, his, um, his music. Folsom Prison yeah. aside. Folsom Prison aside. And you know what's nice is that we are lucky that we can enjoy all phases and all aspects of Johnny Cash's life through sound recordings, through DVDs, through video, mm-hmm. um, through books as well. There are a lot of great books out about Johnny Cash. So if you want well, to learn, so. and you didn't learn much here except for that we love Johnny Cash and a lot of what he did and how he matters to us, yep. you, there are so many good books that you can read about. Yep. Just go find one at your local bookstore. We always say buy local from your local bookstores and just go get it. Absolutely. And again, yes. And again, remember, he's important in the history of rock and roll. His attitude, his activism, his music, his songwriting. For Christ's sake, the guy's in four Hall of Fames. Not that we know of. very common. No, he, I think he's the only one that's in four. Well, that may be a research project for us. We're for the rock and roll archaeologist, right? Yes. Uh, we'll steer you in a little bit of a direction. The first book written about Cash was uh, in 1975. It was called Man in Black. It was an autobiography, mm-hmm. and that sold some copies, sold some weight, raised some paper. And a second one called Cash, the Autobiography, came out in 1997. There's a couple you can look into or look for online and then go get them because I think he's always going to be somebody that people want to learn more about and can continue to influence future generations, not just in country, but in rock music and all forms of music because of the figure that he was. And Joaquin Phoenix and Reese Witherspoon did Johnny and June justice in I Walk the Line. They they portrayed the chemistry. I don't know how accurate it is because, yeah. you know, like we always talk about Hollywood and what they do to make things work for them. Mm-hmm. They, the energy, the, the you know, the, the struggles that they had initially because, hey, he was a married man and you were working together on the road and mm-hmm. that wasn't happening. And sometimes the energy between two people overcomes the barriers life may throw in the way. Yeah. And that was definitely the case with John and June Carter Cash. Absolutely. His uh, internal conflicts gave us some beautiful music, and I would love to at some point maybe do another episode on his internal conflicts and how it impacted his songwriting. Maybe we can team it up with somebody else that he knew who also had internal conflicts at the same time, and like Ray Charles, you know, oh, yeah. that era, do something Very like cool. that. Yeah. Wow. I think we just... Created a podcast episode and make a note somewhere. Note made. <laughs> well, that's going to do it this time out. Uh, thanks for spending some time with us and the man in black, Johnny Cash. Always a pleasure, Marcus. Always great working with you, Ray. It's always fun discussing rock and roll. This is one where invariably I think we're going to find people know more about the man than we do. So Easily. please reach out and tell us what we missed. Tell us what we got right. Tell us what we didn't get right. You can do that a myriad of ways, including imbalancehistory at gmail.com if you want to drop an email. We're also on Facebook at the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll or on Twitter. Imbalanced Histo is our handle, and you can look the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll up on 
Twitter. We're also on a whole ton Should of Should we platforms. stop promoting Twitter because they won't give us the R1? Nah, let's just keep <laughs> that. Let's just drop it. It's fine. All right. Yeah, we are on a lot of platforms. We found a Spotify. whole lot of places where you guys are listening. Uh, and wherever you are, make sure you put your hand up there. Uh, give us a give us a like if you like the podcast. If you're listening, make sure you keep up on your episodes because that's important too. We're finding out all the things we're learning here as we do this podcast every week, trying to make it fun, trying to make it interesting. And thanks again to our sponsors at Crooked Eye Brewery, right in the heart of Hatboro. We've really enjoyed having you along for the ride as well. And your beers are so good. Just had old blue eyes, and let me tell you, as long as it lasts, it's sweet and makes me think we should do an episode about Sinatra sometime. We still need, we do need to do an episode about Sinatra, but we also have to wrap this one up. And that means let's shut it down till next time, partner. I'm Ray Coop. I'm Marcus in the Darkest. And we'll catch you next time right here on the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. Hey everybody, this is Brian Reisman, host of the podcast Side Jams, which is now a proud member of the Pantheon family of podcasts. I've been a freelance entertainment journalist for 25 years now, and I often end up in conversations that go off on tangents. Suddenly you're discussing someone's outside passion or hobby, something you didn't know about, and it leads into revelations about their character and about their life outside of their art. I've often had to cut those details out because the story had a strict word count or a specific focus, so here... The entire focus of the podcast is just on their side jam or side jams. For example, Allison Chan's frontman William Duvall spent some time talking to me about reading history, which led him into talking about his public school education and how it was so terrible in high school that he actually managed to get into a private school for free so his life could take a different course. In this series of podcasts, you're going to be hearing my interviews with musicians of all different backgrounds and genres, talking about everything from surfing to collecting antiques to stargazing. I hope you enjoy Side Jams. Please tune in regularly, and I'll have a lot of interesting guests in store for you.